Let's begin. So today's daf is Lamid Aleph. So we left off two lines down. Tanarabonam. We'll say a very interesting sugya today. So the, the Gemara says the following. Tanarabonam. Sukkah Gizula, a stolen sukkah, or for that matter, one who goes ahead and makes a sukkah in Rosh Hashanah. Now Rashi points out, So making a sukkah in the Rosh Hashanah is also a form of theft. Why? Because the Rosh Hashanah belongs to everyone. And as such, no one person could commandeer the Rosh Hashanah for their own sukkah use. So a person either steals a sukkah, person steals a sukkah, or a person makes a sukkah in Rabbi Eliezer posel. Rabbi Eliezer says such a sukkah is posel. The Chachamim Machshir and the Chachamim say the sukkah is kosher. So what's going on over here? Amar Rav Nachman, Machlokes B'Shetokev HaSchavero V'Hotzio Misukaso. Now both say, what is the case of the stolen sukkah? So the case of the stolen sukkah is, Ruven's my next door neighbor. He has a very nice sukkah. I go over, I grab him by the lapel, I throw him out of the sukkah, and I lock the door. And they lock the door. That's the case of... Now, as opposed to what? What, what is the Gemara Kharcha? As opposed to a case of where I actually... Let's say he has one of those, uh, you know, pop-up sukkahs. And I just lift up the sukkah and move it somewhere else. You'll see why the Gemara is framing the case that way. Rabbi Eliezer, Tam Rabbi Eliezer, goes according to his reasoning. Because what does Rabbi Eliezer say? We saw this two days ago. The Amar ain Adam Yotzei Chovaso B'Sukaso Shel Chavero. Rabbi Eliezer is of the opinion that you cannot be Yotzei the Mitzvah of sukkah with your friend's sukkah. I.e. Rabosai, the halacha is, Rabbi Lezer says, you can't use a sukkah shul, this was on Chavzayim, you must have your own sukkah, basukos, chaga sukkos ta'ase lecha, says Rabbi Lezer, it must be your own sukkah, and your sukkah for seven days. Therefore, again, Rabbi Lezer says, that if you went ahead, the e karka, I'm sorry, the ein adam yotzi, the echovaz, the sukkah, so shechavero, e karka nixelas, now Rabosai, we will see, that there is a fundamental machlokis as to whether or not real property can ever be stolen. Look at Rashi. If you hold that real property can be stolen, then at the end of the day, this is a stolen sukkah. And according to, because we you can remember, anything that is mechubar lekarka, anything that is attached to the ground, has the status of the ground itself. Therefore, the of the sukkah will have a status of karko. So says Rabbi Eliezer, if you say that that real property can be stolen, that is a stolen sukkah. And I will say, if it's a stolen sukkah, then what? Then the ma'isa, again, it's not yours. Because it's not yours, you cannot go out and fulfill your obligation. Vi'inami karka inun And even if you hold that real property cannot be stolen, at most still, sukkah sh'ulihi. It is still, quote-unquote, a borrowed sukkah. Meaning, I will say, now what does it mean it's a borrowed sukkah? I just threw Ruvain out of it. Essentially, halachically, if something cannot be stolen, then by definition, what? It's, quote-unquote, being borrowed. It's being borrowed. But according to Rabbi Eliezer, either way, such a sukkah would be invalid. Why? Because Rabbi Eliezer says, you need your own sukkah for the Yom Tov of sukkah. So again, if you hold that real property can be stolen, it's a stolen sukkah, and it's not yours, and you're not Yotzei. If you say property, real property cannot be stolen, karka ain't in exalus, then it's a quote-unquote borrowed sukkah. And according to Rabbi Eliezer, who says that you must have your own sukkah, the sukkah must be yours for all seven days, you're not Yotzei either. 
I, what about the Rabbanon? The Rabbanon, so remember, the Rabbanon hold that you are Yotze in the mitzvah of Sukkah, in a Sukkah Gizula. The Rabbanon, the Rabbanon go according to their already established reasoning. What do they say? The Amri, Adam Yotze Yedei Chavaso B'Sukkah Shachavero. They both say, first of all, because the Rabbanon hold that you can be Yotze in the mitzvah of Sukkah, in the Sukkah of your friend. That's number one. They don't hold of the drush of Chagasukos Taaselacha, but rather again, you don't even have to build your own sukkah at all. If you want to be a sukkah shner throughout the entire yomtiv, that's your prerogative. Furthermore, the Rabbanon hold the karka eina nigzelas. say again, the Rabbanon hold that real property cannot be stolen. Look at Rashi for just a moment over here. So Rashi says, Rabbanon Tamayu, Rabbanon Tamayu, Shalom. Bishula, the sub the sphere late the karka in an exelus, Rabbana Hidami Baraka Gozel, the Karka in an exelus. So both again the mice, so this is a fundamental sheet over here. That real property cannot be stolen. Now the logic for real property can't be stolen is because real in order for something to be stolen according in the view of the Rabbanon, it has to be movable. It has to be movable. There have to be what's called Kinyane Gzela, the ability to acquire stolen property. Which often, which often requires the property to be able to go into the Rishus, go into the domain of the Gazlan. Now, you could acquire real property in different ways by ultimately doing something with the land, some kind of chazak on the karka, but chazal hold karka in an exelis. The sukkah sh'ulihi. Now, both say, listen to this. If karka in an exelis, if, if again, if real property cannot be stolen, that means that what? That it's a borrowed sukkah. Again, remember, we're using that term light, 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 lightly. Sukkah sh'ulihi. So I said, this is the fundamental in the Rabbana. According, what it really comes out to is two pieces. Number one is do you need your own sukkah over the course of Yom Tev. Rabbi Eliezer says the sukkah must be yours. Therefore, by definition, according to Eliezer, whether or not you hold karka and exelis or in an exelis is really irrelevant. Because if the karka is stolen, then ultimately, again, it's a stolen sukkah. If the karka is borrowed, then it's a borrowed sukkah. But either way, it's not yours. According to the Rabbanon, according to Rabbanon, they hold karka in an exelis. Excuse me, right, karka in exelis. Real property cannot be stolen. And therefore, the might say you can be yotze because this is a stolen sukkah. Av, excuse me, it's a borrowed sukkah. Aval, gozel eitzim besicheich bahem. But Rabbanon if you stole, if you stole wood, this is gozel eitzim. Now, I'm not stealing a sukkah, I'm stealing wood. Besicheich bahem. Rabbanon say this phraseology is a little bit, is a little bit misleading. Sicheich bahem over here doesn't mean you used it for schach. Means you used it to build a sukkah. Say if I stole property and used it to build a sukkah, everyone agrees that what? That the thief has acquired the wood. The thief has acquired the wood. And the only thing he is obligated to do is pay the value of the wood to the person from whom he stole it. Which would then mean what? That such a sukkah is indeed a valid sukkah. Look at Rashi. This is not a stolen sukkah, nor is it a borrowed sukkah. Why not? Because in this case, the thief has acquired the wood through shinoi maisa. Shinoi maisa means, shinoi maisa is that you've changed it. You've changed the object from wood to a sukkah. And you've also changed its name from wood to sukkah. This is very important. There's a concept called, the Gemara is going to say this later on, but I'll just say this quickly outside now. There's a concept called Takonas Hashavim. Takonas Hashavim means the following. Chazal made many enactments 
in order to facilitate people doing tshuva. And one of the things that Chazal understood is if tshuva becomes very difficult, people won't do it. So for example, the Gemara tells a story about a man who was a career thief, and he woke up one day and he decided, you know what, he told his wife, honey, I want to do tshuva. And his wife said to him, you fool, if you do tshuva, you won't even have a belt buckle to your name. Apparently, he was a very successful thief. So everything he had was stolen. So she said to him, you're never going to... So one of the things that Chazal pointed out is if I stole a beam of wood and I built it into my house. Now, technically speaking, if I steal an item and the item is in existence, I have to go ahead and return it. Chazal said if I stole a beam and I built it into the structure of my home, I don't have to return the beam. Rather, what do I have to do? There's just the value. Why? Because if you tell me that in order to do tshuva, I have to go ahead and take apart my house. So chances are what? I'm not doing tshuva. So it's, a fa- it's, a, it's a fascinating insight also into human psychology. People want to do the right thing, but people are not really willing to exert themselves. I, I want to do the right thing if it's easy. If it's difficult, then you know what? That's going to be much more of a challenge. So takana sashavim literally means the takana, the enactment for the, ones, for the penitent ones, for the ones who want to do tshuva. So the, essentially what the Gemara is saying over here is, is the following. If I stole wood, the machlokis in Abelezer and the chachamim is only what? When I stole a sukkah. So I took someone else's structure. I kicked him out. Of, I remember what the Gemara said. I took Rebbe by the lapel. I threw him out of the sukkah. I'm living in a sukkah. I locked the door behind me. So machlokis, Rabbi Eliezer and the chachamim, Rabbi Eliezer says it's not good because at the end of the day, this sukkah is not yours. Chachamim say it is good. I mean, good mean I'm Yosei sukkah. Because again, sukkah doesn't have to be mine. And B, karka in an exelis. However, what if I stole Ruvain's wood? Ruvain has a pile of lumber in his backyard. I stole it and I made a sukkah. So in that case, the Gemara says, everyone will agree that first of all, I am Yotze. I am Yotze. Why? Because there are certain, there are certain Kinyani Gizela. I acquire the items because once I build that wood into a sukkah, then what? The halacha becomes, I am no longer obligated to return the wood. I'm obligated to return the value of the wood. Why? Takana Shavim. Because whenever stolen property is built into a structure, even if in this case it's a temporary structure, the Maisegen Chazal were not Matriach, the of the thief, to deconstruct his item and return the wood. He just simply has to go ahead and return the money. So the Maisegen, again, the sukkah, even according to Rabbi Eliezer, would be good because I have acquired that wood and therefore the sukkah is mine. So the Gemara says, Mimai. How do we know this? Midiktani. Now, also when the Gemara asks Mimai, what the Gemara is going back for just a moment, Rashi says, Mimai, to Bixelas Karka time of the Shula. How do we know? How do we know that the Machlokis in Abelez and the Rabbanon is really about Karka and Nixelas or in and Nixelas, and whether or not you could be Yotze with a borrowed sukkah, to which the Gemara says, Midiktani, Dum Yodurush Sarabim. Because the case that the Braissa brought out was the case that equated the stolen sukkah with Rush Sarabim. Marush Sarabim lav didehu, just like the Rush Sarabim does not belong to me. Af sukkah nami lav karka didehu. So to the sukkah is also a case of where it did not belong to me. So I think Marush is just supporting the idea that we said before that the Machlokis Rabbi Eliezer and the Rabbanon was in a case of a stolen sukkah that sits atop the ground of my friend. And therefore the fundamental Machlokis Rabbi Eliezer and the Rabbanon is, is karka nixelas or ain't nixelas. Hahi safta. There was an old lady, an old woman. Then what happens? The Asi lekamid Rav Nachman, who came before Rav Nachman, and she said, Amrali, she said to him, Reish Kalusa, Vikulu Rabbanan Debe Reish Kalusa, Besuka Gizula Havu Yasvi. And she said, The Reish Kalusa, I also remember the Reish Kalusa was the head of Babylonian Jewry, and all the rabbis of the house of the Reish Kalusa are all living in a stolen sukkah. Now, what was she, what was she positing? So, what, what was she claiming? 
if you look at Rashi, Rashi says over here, Hahi Safta, the Gazlamimani Abdi Rishkalusa eats him as So this old lady is coming before is coming before Rav Nachman, and she's saying the house the Rishkalusa, right? They stole somebody from the Rishkalusa stole my wood. And they stole my wood and they built it into a sukkah. And they're all sitting in that sukkah and they're for the Rish Kalusa and the rabbis of the Rish Kalusa's house. None of them are yotzim in the sukkah. They're sitting in a sukkah gzula. So what happened? Velo ashkachba. Velo ashkachba literally means that he did not pay attention to her. Now, what she wanted, what she wanted is she wanted her wood back. So she wanted Rav Nachman to order the basin, to order the house of the Rish Kalusa, to deconstruct the sukkah and to return the wood. Rav Nachman did not pay attention to that particular claim. Amrale, she said to him, A woman whose father had 318 servants. Tzavcha Kamaich, who is screaming before you, and you're not going to pay attention to her. Now, Rashi points out, who is this woman that her father had 318 servants? She was saying, I'm a daughter of Armavinu. Armavinu, the Torah said, right, had 318 servants. So she's saying, she's saying, what? I am a daughter of Aram Avinu, and you're not going to pay attention to me. She was frustrated. She was, she was upset that Rav Nachman did not seem to be paying attention to her claim. Amr al Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman said, Pa'isahida. Pa'isahida, if you look at Rashi, Kolonis. Literally, this woman is a complainer. Ve'ain la ela deme'eitin because I've told her before, Apparently, this was not the first time this came up. I've told her before, she is not entitled to get the wood back, but rather, what is she entitled to? She's entitled to the value of the wood. So apparently, she really wanted the wood. I don't know, maybe it was her grandfather's wood, whatever it was. She wanted the wood. Lemaisa, again, Lemaisa, again, all she was entitled to was the money. So look at Rashi, Rabbi Rashi says, Rashi says, Rashi exactly what we said before, that again, once you build stolen property into a structure, again, remember, the interesting part about sukkah is, for the seven days of sukkah, sukkah becomes a permanent structure. Even though, again, it's a diras arai, it becomes a diras kavua, because it is where you live, Throughout the seven days, once you build it into the sukkah, by definition, again, you are not obligated to deconstruct the structure in order to give back the wood. Hai kishura. Let's take all questions at the end. Hai kishura. Hai kishura de mitlalasa digzula. If you have a beam, if you have a beam that was built into the sukkah that was stolen, so a stolen beam built into the sukkah, of dilei rabbanon takanto mishum takhanas marish. So I will say the rabbis extended the takana of Takanas Marish to this particular to this particular structure. So also again, Takanas Marish literally means the Takana, the enactment of the beam. That's what we just said before. That's the case of where the thief steals a beam, builds it into the house, wants to now do tshuva. Chazal did not obligate him to go ahead and deconstruct the house, remove the beam in order to return it. Rather, he just has to give the value. So now what the Gemara is saying over here is that Lamaisa, if you stole material and you built it into a sukkah, that same Takanas Marish, or what we call Takanas Shavim, applies to this case as well. Look at Rashi. Mitnei Takanas Marish. Rabosa, this is a very important Rashi. You see, one might have thought, one might have thought that the Takhanas Marsh, you know when it applies? It applies to my house. Because if I if I steal a beam and I build it into my house, 
tell me that I have to construct my house, that's a major deconstruct my house. That's a major hefsin. And therefore, Chazal did not obligate me to do that. But a sukkah, what's, what's, what's the big deal? What's, what's okay? I have maybe an hour of work that I have to do. So what's the big deal? I'll take off the schach. I'll remove the beam. I'll get a new beam. So I might have thought that I'd be obligated to that kamash malon, that for the Yom Tov of sukkahs, the sukkah is treated as a diras keva. Is created is treated as established structure, no different than a home. Therefore, the takanas marish applies over here as well. So the says, Pshita, that's obvious. Why should this be any different than the case of the wood? Now, boss, I remember again what the Gemara is suggesting over here is the following. We just said beforehand that what that if I steal wood instead of stealing Ruben's sukkah, I steal Ruben's wood. I build myself a sukkah with Ruben's wood. What's the halacha? My sukkah, my sukkah, and I'm only obligated to not only, but I'm obligated to what? To compensate him for the value of the wood. So the Imar says, okay, if you already said that by the case of the wood, why do you have to restate this now where? By the case of the beam. Meaning, obviously, if you said it by the wood, it applies to the beam as well. To which the Imar says, I might have thought that maybe when you steal wood, wood is common. Wood is common. And therefore, again, that's why we let the thief keep the wood. Because it would be a little bit of a tircha for the thief to deconstruct the sukkah. Let him keep the wood. And let him compensate the owner of the wood for the wood. But by a beam, a beam, again, I'll say, I guess, you know, a structural beam is a much bigger to-do. So, you know, you can't, uh, you can't just walk into the forest and find a structural beam. So I might have thought that something like that, which is much more significant, again, perhaps the thief would not acquire it, and he'd have to go ahead and deconstruct his sukkah and give it back to the owner. That is not the case. And Takonas Marish still says that he could keep the beam as well. Rashi says, well, okay, fine. So the Gemara says the following. So the Gemara says, Hanimili bigo shiva. And I will say, when does this apply? This applies during the seven days of Yom Tiv. And you will say, again, so if I went ahead and I stole the beam, and, or I stole the wood, and I built it into a sukkah, over the seven days of Yom Tov, so what happened? Now the feet, now the owner comes to me over the seven, he brings me to Beisdin on Chalamayid. So on Chalamayid, Beisdin does not tell me that I have to go ahead and deconstruct my sukkah, because the mice is like a diras keva, it's like an established structure. However, I have shiva, but after the seven days of Yom Tov, then what? Hot. Hadar be'enei. Rabosai, this is interesting. So let's say then, Ruben comes, Isrichad, he brings me to Beis and he says, you stole my beam. In that case, says the Gemara, then what? You'd have to return the beam. Why? Very interesting. Why? Because after the Yom Tov of Sukkis, so the Sukkah is no longer considered to be a diras keva. It's no longer considered to be an established structure. And because it's no longer it's considered to be an established structure, Takhanas Marish or Takhanas Hashavim does not apply to it. Takanas Hashavim, the idea, Takanas Marsh, this idea that you don't have to deconstruct the structure to return a beam, rather you just give the value, is only an established permanent structure. After Sukkis, it's an impermanent temporal structure. You would be obligated to deconstruct, meaning even if you're one of those guys who leaves up your sukkah year to year, not because I'm lazy, but because it's more efficient, right? Then what? Still, after Sukkis, that structure is temporary in nature and would have to be deconstructed to return the beam. So the Gemara now goes right. So we'll say, I'll just tell you quickly, just, well, how long is this? Oh, you know what? L- l- let, me, let me, when we finish the daf, and then I'm going to go back, just tell you the halach al because the Shulchan does comment on this case of the stolen sukkah, but we'll, we'll come back to it. So the Gemara says the following. Tana, 
Yavish Pasel. I will say, we, we learned before that a Lulav, we're, we're transitioning now to Lulav. Remember again, I will say, Sukkah is not the topic of this parak. although it's exciting. The only reason, again, we got into it was why? Because we started a discussion about Lulav Hagazel, about a stolen Lulav. So once we started speaking about a stolen Lulav, then we got into the case of the stolen Sukkah. But now we're back to our regularly, uh, re- regular subject over here. Tana, Yavesh Pasel, a dried Lulav is Pasel. Rabbi Huda Machsh, Rabbi Huda says that it's kosher. Amr Rava, Rava says, Machlokes Belulav Drabanon. Excuse me, Machlokes Belulav. So Rava says, the Machlokes about Yovesh is a Machlokes in Lulav. Drabanon Savri, because the rabbis hold, Makshinon Lulav La Esrog, Ma Esrog Boy Hodder, Af Lulav Boy Hodder. So both say, the Rabbanon hold, that what? That we equate Lulav and Esrog. Now, why would we equate Lulav and Esrog? Ulakachtem Lachem Bayamarishon, Pre Aiz Hodder, Kapos Tamarim. Right? So what happens? The Torah discusses Lulav and Esrog in the same Pasuk. That's called the Hekish. That's called the comparison. Or, or smuchin or juxtapositions. So the mice again, the Rabbanon say that all of the laws of Esrog essentially apply to Lulav as well. Namely, just as Esrog must be Hadar, that's why the Torah calls it a pre Hadar, and must be beautiful, so to again, Lulav must be beautiful as well. And therefore again, what? And therefore the mice if the Lulav is Yavesh, it will not be kosher. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Huda, so Rabbi Huda says, no, lo makshinon lulav la'esrog. Rabbi Huda says that we do not compare or equate lulav to esrog, and therefore, again, although esrog must be hadar, esrog must be beautiful, lulav does not have to be. And therefore, according to Rabbi Huda, even a lulav yavesh, even a dried out lulav is going to be kosher for the mitzvah. However, ava be'esrog, divrei hakol hadar ba'inan. But Rabbi Huda in Rava's view, both, both the Rabbanon and Rabbi Huda agree that what? that Esrog must be beautiful. There's a din of Hidr, there's a din of Hadr, there's a din of beauty by Esrog, although the Machloka <laughs> says if it applies by Lulav as well. Okay, so the Gemara says, Ubalulav Lobai, hold on to that for just a little bit, we'll come back to Esrog in just a little bit. Ubalulav Lobai, is that true that Lulav does not require Hidr? So the Gemara says, excuse me, Ubalulav Lobai, Rabbi Huda Hadr, does Rabbi Huda not require Hadr by Lulav? Bahatran, we learned, Rabbi Huda, Omer, Rabbi Huda says, Ya'agdenu milamala. Rabbi Huda holds your Rabbi Huda said in the Mishnah that you should tie the lulav on the top, that you should bind the lulav together. So the says, my time, why is that? Lav mishum debay hadar, is that not because Rabbi Huda wants, Rabbi Huda wants the lulav to be beautiful, and that by binding it together, you, you go and beautify the midst of lulav, to which the Gemara says, no, that's actually not the reason. Kedektani time with Rabbi Huda, Omer mishum Rabbi Tarfon, kapos tamarim. No, Rabbi Huda's logic is totally different. How does the Torah refer to a lulav? Kapos tamarim. Kapos. Or kapos. Or kafos. Vim haya paru yikafsenu. I will say what it teaches us is what? Kapos. Kapos tamarim could also be vocalized as how? Kafos. Kafos means what? Bound or tied. From which Rabbi Huda learns that if the lulav has the danger of splitting, you should what? Or when I say splitting, I mean the leaves coming apart. Then what? Or spreading apart. Then what? You should bind it together. So therefore, according to Rabbi Huda, the idea of binding the lulav has nothing to do with hidra. It's nothing to do with beautifying the mitzvah. It's just simply part of the definition of the mitzvah because it's called kapos tamarim. Okay. Below by hadar, is that true that it doesn't require hadar by lulav? But we learn, Rabbi Huda holds that you have to bind the lulav, and this refers specifically to binding the hadassim and the aravos and the lulav together, but you could only go ahead and bind the lulav, bind the lulav 
with mino. Mino as well say means with one of the items that are part of the bundle itself. My time, what's the reason for that? La Mishum Hadar. So why does Rabbi Huda hold that the bundle that the bundle has to be bundled? That the Lulu Hadas has to be bundled? Is it not because Hadar? Because this is a beautification of the mitzvah? Lo, afilu No, it's not true. Why? Because Rava said the truth is you can even bind the bundle together with what? With ivy or with the bark of the palm tree. I will say ivy over here means the ivy that grows around the trunk of the palm tree. That's considered to be palm-like in nature. And the bark of the palm tree obviously is what? It's part of the palm tree itself. And this is okay. Why? Because it's considered to be part of the min of lulav. Because since the lulav comes from the palm tree, then ultimately, again, anything else that comes from the palm tree is considered mino. Ve'ela mai taima de Rabbi Yehuda. I so if that's the case, so why does Rabbi... So what's that? The fact that you're springing then that you could bind the lulav with these things, which don't look like everything else, which don't look like everything else, indicates that what? That it's not because of hider. Because when you bind it with a piece of ivy, or when you go and you bind it with a piece of palm tree bark, which is not going to look all that beautiful, which is indicative that the binding is not a function of hider. So why does Rabbi Huda require that you bind it? My time is Rabbi Huda. Hasam de hasam de kasabar, lulav tsarich agud. Right? Eget, because he holds, lulav has to be bound. That's the din in lulav. It's not a din in hider. It's a din in the fundamental nature of the mitzvah, that these items must be bound as a collective unit. And if you use another type of item for the binding, havalahu chamisha minim. So most of the things according to Yehuda, if you use, I don't know, um, rubber band. Rubber band, good. I was going to say something Rope. organic. Rope. Right, you right, you use rope, you use or you use something, whatever. You use, you use something else. That's not one of the dollar meaning. So, so then what? That's a fifth min. That's a fifth object that is now part of this bundle, which obviously is problematic. Alts baltosif. Alts adding on. Fine. So both say. So so far, where the Gemara is holding right now, is that the machlokis Rabbi Huda and the Rabbanon is in the case of whether or not lulav requires hider. According to the Rabbanon, it does. And why? Why? Because they, because the Pasik itself equates, creates Hadr, the Esrog, which everyone agrees requires Hidr and Lulav. Therefore, Lulav requires Hidr as well. And Rabbi Huda says, no, Lulav does not require Hidr. But what we're holding right now is everyone agrees that what? Everyone agrees that Esrog does require Hidr. To which the Gemara asks, to which the Gemara asks, Ube Esrog, me boy. Does Esrog really require Hidr? So the Gemara says, excuse me, Uba Esrog, me by Rabbi Huda Hadar. Does Rabbi Huda require that the Esrog be beautiful? This Hidr mitzvah. But we learned, Arbaaz minin Shabalulav. You have four different species that are part of the Lulav. It's, inc- it's including the Esrog as part of the Lulav as well. Kashem shin pochs in mehen, kach in mosif In the same way that you can't add up, same way that you can't detract, you can't take away one of the species. <coughs> So too you can't add on. Lo matze estrog. Let's say again you can't find an estrog to use on sukkis. Lo yavi parish. You can't use a quince instead. Velo rimon or a pomegranate. Velo davar acher or anything else. Rebbe say we'll discuss what the havamina is that you could substitute the lemon, you know, or or something else. We'll get into that. What the gemara is saying is if you can't find an estrog, you can't substitute another fruit for that estrog. Furthermore, furthermore, kimushin. If the object withered, if it withered, k'sherin, it's kosher, yuvation psulin. I will say, we're assuming now this is talking about, this is talking about the estrog. If the estrog withered, or if the estrog was dried up, it's puzzle. It's puzzle. 
which again would seem to make sense, based on the fact that what? That the esrog must be hadar. It must be beautiful. However, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda says, af yevation. Rabbi Huda says, even a dried esrog will be fine. The Trevosa again seems to indicate what? That Rabbi Huda holds what? That you don't require hider even by esrog. But Amr Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda said, Amr Beis, Maisa, Maisa, um, I'm sorry. Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda says, Good. Rabbi Huda, um, Rabbi Huda says, "Vam Rabbi Huda, Maisa bebnei krochin shahayu morishin eslulavehen livnei venehen." It's interesting enough. Rabbi Huda says that there was an episode of bnei krochin. So I don't know if krochin over here means the actual name of a place, or it's just, or it's just saying over here there was a story with people in a city, right? Residents in a city who used to give over their lulavim, who used to give to their grandchildren. So we'll say, look at Rashi for just a moment. Bnei krachin, it's actually true, it's just a generic term for krach. She'ein darin amakom pardesin, they do not live in a place where there are orchards. Ve'ein dekalim tzuyinjo. So we'll say, so, so urban dwellers, so urban dwellers often did not have, did not have unlimited access to palm trees, and as such, what would they do? They would save their lulavim year to year to the point that apparently they would last for generations and they would hand down lulav. As you would have to imagine what a lulav looked like when it was being handed down from grandfather to grandson. Amrullah, Amrullah, Hem. So that actually the Mitzvah Shash changes it to Amr Lo, Misham, right? And I've also, again, remember, this is Rabbi Huda quoting this story. So Rabbi Huda just got finished saying what? Just got finished saying that even a withered esrog or a dried esrog is going to be good. And furthermore, even a dried up lulav is going to be good also. And he quotes the story. So the Rabbanon respond to him, Amr Lo, they said to him, Misham Raya, you're bringing a proof from there. Ein shas hadchak raya. You can't bring a raya from a shas hadchak. You know, I will say, the Bnei Krachin didn't have access to anything else. So what happened? So they did the best of their ability. But you can't bring a raya for normative halacha from a case of extenuating circumstances. Rabbi will say, what's the, but nevertheless, with the Gemara focus on katani mihas, but here, here's what comes out of this. Rabbi Huda Omer, af yevation k'shirin. Rabbi Yehuda said that even the dried one was kosher. Now, both said the Gemara says, my lava esrog was Rabbi Yehuda not commenting on the esrog. Now, both said, what's interesting is the flow of this price that the Gemara just quoted is a strange flow. Why? Because it begins by talking about the four meaning. You can't have less, you can't have more. Then what does it say? If you don't have an esrog, if you don't have an esrog, so you can't go ahead and bring a quince or, or anything else instead. Then what did it say? And, and if it's dried up, if it's dried up, it's kosher. Or say, excuse me, if it's withered, it's kosher. If it's dried up, it's not. Rabbi Huda holds, even if it's dried up, it's kosher. Then Rabbi Huda quotes a story about lulav. So the question is, when Rabbi Huda says, if it's dry, even if it's dried up, that it's kosher, what is he referring to? The reason why it's ambiguous is because the first part of the statement was talking about esrog. The last part of the statement is talking about what? Lulav. So the Gemara at first assumes that Rabbi Huda's statement that even a dried item is usable for the mitzvah is referring to what? It's referring to esrog. Oh, and that's a stira. Why? Because again, because that just follows the flow of the b'risa. It was talking about esrog before, and therefore the comment is about esrog. Now why is that a stira? Because we just said before that even though Rabbi Huda holds that a lulav does not have to be hadar, he does agree with what? That an esrog does. So how does it stem? Because you tell me before, Rabbi Huda holds that an esrog has to be hadar, and now based on this price, so the esrog does not have to be hadar, to which the Himar says, no, alo, alulav, you're right, that statement of Rabbi Huda was not referring to esrog. When he said that even a dried item is usable for the mitzvah, it wasn't referring to esrog, rather, what, what was it referring to? 
Lulav, which Rabosai actually allows the Brisa to read a little bit better, because now why? Now it makes sense why Rabbi Yehuda then introduces that story in the next day. What was the story about? Dried lulavim. So after Rabbi Yehuda says, after Rabbi Yehuda says that what that you can use a dried or withered lulav, he says, oh, I'm going to support that assertion. How I'm going to tell you a ma'isa shahaya kachaya. It happened that people used dried lulavim. To which the Rabbanon responded, shasat chak. Come on, come on. Don't, don't, don't waste my time with that. Right? Yeah. Meaning again, that was a shasat chak. That was extenuating circumstances. You can't bring a raya from there. So I will say, therefore, the way we leave off over here is Rabbi Yehuda is still on the same page that although lulav does not require hidur, and with that he argues with the rabbanon, everyone agrees that what that esrog does. That's what we're holding so far. So the gemara analyzes the brisa. The gemara says, Amar Mar. That which we said before, kishem shein pochs in mehen kachin mosif nalehen. What do the brayers say? The same way that you can't add on or you can't detract from the dalad minim, meaning you can't decide to add, uh, you know, roses or tulips or something else to it. Kach ain kach. Um, I'm sorry. Kishem shein pochsin. I'm sorry. The same way that you can't decide. You know what? I don't like the ahavi aravos. Look, I'm going to take them away. Kach in mosif nalehen. So you can't add on another species. So says pshita. That, that's obvious. What's what's the chiddush over here? Ma'od tema. What would you have thought? Again, I might have thought like this. Since Lulav requires a binding, Lulav, now I guess we haven't, we haven't decided definitively on that issue, but since we say that Lulav requires, needs to be bound, I might have thought like this. I will say, when can't I bring another species if I'm going to go ahead and bind that in the binding? But let's say I want to do the following. I'm going to bind up my Lulav, Hadassim, and Aravos, and what? And I want to bring tulips, but I'm not going to include them in the binding. So I might have thought that if I'm not going to include them in the binding, then what? Then what? The Lamai said should be okay. Why? Because as long as it's not bound together, it's not considered to be as one of the species, and therefore, again, it's not Baltosif. Kamash Malon, no. Kamash Malon, that even if you hold Lulav Tzarech Eged, and all the species have to be bound together, the act of taking something else, even if it's not bound together with the rest, is still problematic. Amar Mar, Lo Matzah Esrog, Lo Yavi, Lo Rimo, Lo Parish, Lo Davar Acher. We'll say it's very interesting. So the Bryce has said if he couldn't find an Esrog, you should not go ahead and bring a pomegranate or a quince or anything else. The Gemara says, Pshita. Like, what's, that's, that's obvious. What's, the mitzvah is esrog. Meaning, why would, I would say, again, is there a havamina that if I don't have tefillin, if I don't have tefillin, that I should go ahead and construct tefillin out of black construction paper and tie it around my arm, or I should tie a rope or a belt around my arm for it. So, if, if you don't have an esrog, you don't have an esrog. what's the havamina that you would substitute it with something different? This is very interesting. Mao de Tema, I might have thought that what? That maybe I should go ahead and use something else in order that the concept of esrog not be forgotten. Well, say this is so profound. They have to understand something. We live in such a dramatically different age. Our, our Nisayon, right? Not Nisayon, but our challenge is, you know, do you want to buy an Aleph, a Bez, or a Gimel? You know, what kind of Esrog do you want to buy? How much money do you want to spend? You know, I'll say, it, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. Again, not even so long ago, where, again, you know, certainly, certainly in pre-war Europe, very often there was an, one Esrog per town, and everybody would go ahead and use that particular Esrog 
Nasser again, and that was it. Many beautiful stories about that. What, what, and, that and that was it. So what the Gemara is saying over here is, I guess already Chazal understood that this is the kind of mitzvah that because it depends where you're living and what crops there are, it's quite possible that there may be times, for example, where people don't have Esrogim. So I might have thought that there should be a substitute in order that what? that the concept shouldn't be forgotten. It's a fascinating idea that we don't want the concept of Esrog to be forgotten and there's a reality that communities en masse will not have Esrogim, so maybe there should be a backup. You're not going to make a bracha on it. You're not going to make a bracha on it, but at least again, there should be something that people should not forget the concept of Esrog. Kamash malon, zinnin denafik churba minei, le misrach. To which the Gemara says no, and therefore so that's the Havamina, that I would substitute something else. Kamashon that I'm not going to do that. Why? Because both sides sometimes that could backfire terribly. How could it backfire terribly? That people will think, oh, you know what? It's okay. I'm not. I'm going to go with the pomegranate route. It's a lot more economical, right? It's just, I mean, again. So therefore, because it could ultimately actually undermine the mitzvah. Therefore, Chazal said you can't use anything else. So the Gemara says the following: Tashma literally means zimnin denafik churbamine. Sometimes it actually will end up being destructive. The People will become accustomed to using these other items and it will fundamentally undermine the mitzvah of Dalad Minim. Tashma, Esrog, Esrog Hayashan Puzzle. If you have an old Esrog, an old Esrog is not kosher, it's Puzzle, probably because it's lacking Hidr. Rabbi Huda says that it is kosher. Tiyufta dirava tiyufta. So we'll say, interestingly enough, the Gemara says over here, now this, now here you have an explicit statement of Rabbi Huda, where Rabbi Huda is saying that Lamaisa Esrog does not require Hidur. Here it's explicit. Esrog does not require Hidur, to which the Gemara says, Tiyufta dirava tiyufta. This is a refutation of the position of Rav, because what, what did Rav say on Amad Aleph? Rav said that as much as Rabbi Huda and Rabbana argue about Lulav, even Rabbi Huda agrees that what? That Esrog has to be Hidur. Here it's clear that Rabbi Huda does not agree with that. So the Gemara says, Is that true? Is that true? That Rabbi Huda does not require Hidur. But we learned, If you have an Esrog that is green as a leek, green as a leek, we'll get into this later on, we'll discuss the actions, big with the proper colors for Esrogim, we'll discuss it. But if you have an Esrog that's green as a leek, Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir says that it's kasher. Rabbi Huda Paul Rabbi Huda says that it's puzzle. So why is it puzzle? Lab mishum debay hider. Is it not because it requires hider? And therefore you see from here that even Rabbi Huda requires hider by an Esrog. To which the Gemara says, Lo, mishum de lo gomer peira. You know why? Because of also a green Esrog has not yet matured. Because it's not yet matured, it's not yet called an Esrog. Say so Rabbi Huda says it's a fundamental, it's a pagam in the identity of the item. Tashma, sheer esrog katan. What's the shear of an esrog? So the Gemara says the, the, the bottom shear, the lowest shear of the esrog, the smallest shear. Rabbi Meir Omer Ke'egos. Rabbi Meir says it has to be the, at least the size of, an, of a walnut, of an egos. Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda says kebeso, the size of an egg. Lav mishum debay hader. Now why does Rabbi Huda say it has to be the size of an egg? Is that not because less than an egg is not hader, and therefore you see Rabbi Huda holds that there's hider by an esrog? No. Lo mishum de lo gamar peira. Same idea. Because Rabbi Huda holds that if the esrog is less, less than the size of an egg, it means it has not yet fully matured. If it has not yet fully matured, then the mice again is not yet called an esrog. Tashma. 
Ubigadol, what is the ceiling? What's the what's the largest shear for an esrog? Ubigadol kadeshi yochas shnayim biado achas to Rebbe. Rebbe Huda says the largest shear for an esrog is has to have the ability to hold two of them in one hand. Rabbi Yosi Yosi says afilu echad b'shte yadav. Rabbi Yosi says no, an esrog could be so big. Rabbi Yosi said that even if you need two hands to hold one, so Rabbi Yosi says machlokas. Rabbi Huda holds the largest an esrog could be is you have to be able to hold two of them in one hand. Rabbi Yosi says no, it could be as big as you want, even if you need two hands to hold one esrog. Now, why does Rabbi Huda require that the esrog can be small enough that you can hold two in one hand? Is it not because that that's muhudr? That's a nicer esrog. Loth, that's not the reason at all. Kevan damarava lulav biyamin ve'esrog b'small. Because the Rabbi said you have to hold the lulav in your right hand and the esrog in your left. Rashi points out over here the reason for that is because the lulav has more mitzvos associated with it. Lulav hadasan and aravos. Therefore, it goes in the right hand, which is considered to be more chashuv. This is assuming you're right-handed. And the Esra goes in the left. Zimnin, but what happens? Zimnin de mechafile, va'asi lafchinhu. So va'asu le'ifsule. Because let's see who the holds like this. What's going to happen? Sometimes you're going to pick up the little of an Esra in the wrong hands. And what's going to happen? You're going to have to switch them around. So both sides, your Esra has to be small enough to be able to allow you to maneuver the Esra to the other hand and the Lulav to the other hand. If the Esra is too large, what will happen? You'll fumble. You'll fumble. What happens if you fumble around with it? It's going to fall down and you're going to invalidate the Dalit Minim. So I'll say, aye, but according to Rabbi Yehuda, what does he do with the fact that the Pasuk says, pre eight Hadar, which indicates to us what? That Lamaisa, the Estrog, does have to be, Hadar has to be beautiful. Oh, I'll tell you the following. He says, Hahu, Hadar bi'ilano mishana lashana. Rabbi Huda doesn't understand Hadar as being beautiful, but rather Rabbi Huda understands that Hadar actually identifies the Esrog. How, what's the nature of the fruit of the Esrog? Hadar bi'ilan mishon al We'll say Esrog is very unique. An Esrog fruit, even when it matures, does not fall off the tree. Other fruits, when they mature, they often fall off. Esrog does not fall off. You have to pluck it off, which means if you leave it on, what happens? It stays on. Rabbi Huda says that's what the Pasuk means. pre eats not Hadar, but... Hadar. Hadar means what? One that literally lives on the tree from year to year. So I'll say what comes out is that Lamaisa, Rabbi Huda disagrees with Rabbana on both counts. Number one, Machlok is about Lulav, or Machlok is about Esrog, really, really about Esrog. Rabbi Huda holds it doesn't have to be Hadar. The Rabbanon say it does. And therefore, again, by extension, the Rabbanon who understand that the pre eight Hadar of Esrog, Hadar refers to beauty, understand that the Torah equates the Lulav with the Esrog, just as the Esrog has to be beautiful. The Lulav has to be beautiful as well. Whereas Rabbi Yehuda, who holds that Hadar doesn't mean beauty. Hadar means Hadar. It lives on the tree from year to year. Therefore, there's no Hekish to be made. And therefore, just as Esrog does not have to be, does not need Hidr, so too, again, Lulav does not need Hidr as well. I'm also just very quickly, because we only have literally a minute. I just want to share with you. I'll, I'll leave, I have sheets of this. So if you want, you can take it afterwards. But the Shulchan Aruch Paskins in Simen Tov Reish Lamed Zayin. Going back to what we learned before, Sukkah Gizula Kshera. I will say, we paskin that a, a, a stolen sukkah is kosher. If Kate said, what's the case of a stolen sukkah? In takaf al misikaso, I grabbed Ruvain by the lapels and I threw him out of his sukkah. And literally, I stole it and I'm sitting in it, I'm living in it. And again, I'm very firm. I'm sleeping in it, I'm learning in it, I'm doing everything in it. I'm not moving from it. What's that? Lacha yatza. Why? She'ein hakarka nigzelas. Because of also, I remember, we paskin that real property 
cannot be stolen. And because real property cannot be stolen, therefore, technically speaking, if I steal someone's sukkah, again, I am yotze with that. Similarly, he says, If I stole wood and I fashioned that wood into a sukkah, even though I didn't nail it down, I didn't cement it down, I didn't change anything with the wood, Yotza, I'm still Yotze. Takanas Chachamim. Takanas Chachamim. She'en Lebal Eitzim, Ela Demea Eitzim Bilvad. Because Halach Lamaish Rabosai, this falls under Takanas Marish, Takanas Shavim, that once you build wood into the structure of the Sukkah, I get to keep the wood, and all I'm obligated to do is what? Is Lamaisa refund the value. All right, we'll snap over here. So we treat that the same. Everything we treat as built into the structure. And that's, even though, again, it's not nailed down, it's not still part of the structure, you only have to give the value.